Hi, I'm Meredith Roden, and I'm the host of The Hatchet's weekly podcast, Getting to the Bottom of It, covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus. I'm cheering for you, class of 2019. Congratulations. The class of 2019 graduated Sunday, and our reporter, Leah DeGroat, was there to see it all. Leah, can you tell us what happened? So at the commencement ceremony, a co-host of the Today Show, Savannah Guthrie, spoke. She addressed students and encouraged them to embrace all of the risks and challenges in their lives. She shared a story of her career when she graduated college and moved to Montana to work at a small TV station there. She said when she got there, the TV station closed 10 days after she arrived and she had to move back. She said that was a challenge for her, but shortly after she received another job in journalism and she overcame her challenge. One thing that stood out to me was Guthrie's story of how when she graduated law school at Georgetown, she was presented with a really great opportunity to be a clerk for a federal judge, but she turned down that opportunity to return to broadcast journalism. What was the focus of most of the speakers? At the ceremony, University President Thomas LeBlanc awarded three honorary doctoral degrees to Christine Darden, who is an aerospace engineer, Cindy McCain, who's a philanthropist, and Savannah Guthrie as well. And Cindy McCain, who is the wife of late Senator John McCain, spoke to students about maintaining dignity and grace in their postgraduate lives. She said that she has learned a lot about dignity and grace from her husband, who taught her how to live and die with dignity. Christine Darden, who was an aerospace engineer and also a GW alum, was one of just a handful of women who worked at NASA during the space race in the 1960s. And she told students to overcome roadblocks in their lives. So there was a lot of talk about different challenges that that people are facing? Yeah, all of the speakers encouraged uh, the graduates to just overcome challenges and embrace um, those challenges in their lives because those are the moments that are going to make them stronger as people. There's always a student commencement speaker how how did this year's speaker want students to go forward? This year's speaker was Tiriana Evans, who received a degree in journalism. She spoke to students about overcoming their fears in life. She said that students at GW have already overcome a lot of their fears and have worked really hard to meet their challenges, and she encouraged students to continue doing that after graduation. Some administrators spoke as well. Can you give us just some of the highlights from their speeches? So University President Thomas LeBlanc spoke at the end of the ceremony and he charged the ceremony. He told students to continue their careers with empathy. He said that no matter what they're doing, whether it's science and engineering, political science, he said that they should use empathy in their careers. Provost Forrest Maltzman introduced Thomas LeBlanc to the stage. Um, he congratulated the graduates for completing their degrees and he thanked alumni and friends who have given donations to the university to help the graduates complete their degree. And Nelson Carbonell, who is chairman of the Board of Trustees, he said that he has had a wonderful tenure as both a member of the Board of Trustees and as the chairman of the Board of Trustees. He said that the education he received at GW, earning his bachelor degree in electrical engineering, really enriched his life and prepared him for the challenges and opportunities he received in the rest of his career. And this was a big crowd, I'm assuming. Do you know how many mm -hmm. people were there? Yeah, there are about 6,000 graduates and about 20,000 audience members at the ceremony. Thanks for talking to us, Leah. Of course, thank you.
I'm here with Academics Editor Jared Gans to talk about the budget for all of the libraries at GW. Jared, I know a report came out recently. Can you tell me what the report found? The Library Committee of the Faculty Senate conducted a report finding that as a result of a change in the fee structure for library donations, library budgets have seen significant funding cuts. Can we take a step back actually and go to what the structure change actually was? Before this academic year, students would pay a voluntary library donation at the time that they paid for their cost of attendance. Students had the option to opt out of paying this fee. And this year, the policy changed so that students had to mark a checkbox in order to pay for the library donation. So as you mentioned, the this has caused a drop in the budget. How severe is that? The committee found significant budget cuts all across the board for all library systems at GW. The Jacob Burns Law Library lost 99% of student funding as a result of the change. Previously, they had $68,000 in student donations, but now they have less than $1,000. What about the main library systems? The main library system lost more than 95% of the funding it previously received from student donations. This funding went mostly to finance facilities repairs such as chairs and electrical outlets for use by students and faculty. For the Himmelfarb Health Sciences Library, only 15 students opted in this year to pay for donations. When you talk to officials, what was their response to this loss of funding? Geneva Henry, the Dean of Libraries and Academic Innovation, said that the university will provide increasing annual increments of $125,000 through 2022 to bring the total donation from the university itself up to $675,000. But this is only a little bit more than half of the $1.2 million the main system previously received. In the report, what did they suggest to address these issues? Holly Dugan, the chair of the Library Committee of the Faculty Senate and an associate professor of English, said three solutions were proposed by the committee. First, the committee suggested looking at the other schools in the Washington Research Library Consortium, which is a group of nine local universities that share library materials, and investigate what they do to deal with struggles with their budget. They said... they said going back to the old fee structure should not be a consideration for the university. Why do they not want to go back to the old structure? They don't want to go back to the old structure because of student affordability concerns. What did they suggest as other solutions? Another solution that was suggested is for faculty members themselves to become more educated about the importance of the library on campus. What will the education actually do for the issues at hand? Basically, if they understand the library better, then they will understand the needs better and what needs to be done to help them. The last solution is simply for the administration to directly provide more funding immediately for the libraries at GW. Dugan said that if not enough money is provided immediately, then there could be what she called a compounding effect that the budget shortfalls will only add up more and more as there's not enough funding to provide for all what the library has to pay for. Thanks, Jared, for giving us a summary of this issue. Thanks for having me. I'm here with finance editor Zach Schoenfeld, who's here to tell us a little bit about the Board of Trustees meeting that took place last week. This is the last Board of Trustees meeting of the year. Uh, It had a lot of action. This is the the meeting where they typically approve budgets. Zach, what were some of the highlights? 
So overall, throughout the meeting, there was a lot of thanks given to the outgoing chair of the Board of Trustees, Nelson Carbonell, uh, for his service as chairman over the past few years. So there was a lot of reflections and celebrations of him. The whole board had a, a celebration of him Thursday night. They also passed a resolution honoring him, so there was a lot of uh, thanks given to him throughout the meeting. After he steps down, or later in the summer, who is replacing him? So Grace Bates was elected as chair of the board alongside uh, Ellen Zane as vice chair, who is the current vice chair, she'll be serving another term, and then Ave Tucker, who will serve as secretary, who is currently a trustee on the board. So that will be the, the new leadership for the next year. And as they got into a little bit more of the nitty-gritty, the budget stuff, what was, what was the top priority on that, and what can we kind of expect for the next year? So one thing that the board approved in the budget was approving the proposal from leaders of the Student Association to reduce laundry costs, reduce printing costs, and then eliminate the cost for student organizations to rent uh, to rent rooms across the university, including Lisner Auditorium and the City View Room uh, in the Elliott School. So that was a proposal that was originally done by the Student Association, and then the Board of Trustees approved $1 million in funding towards those initiatives that student leaders proposed. I know that there was also some talk about budgeting for the Thurston renovations. What happened on that end? The board also approved construction plans for the Thurston Hall renovations over the next few years, pending zoning approvals uh, from the District of Columbia. So the renovations will be conducted over the next few years. The goal is to complete it no later than fall 2022, but hopefully administrators are hoping to complete it a year earlier by fall of 2021. But those will be going on over the next few years and students uh, will be placed in a variety of different buildings and properties that the university owns as they renovate the Thurston Hall throughout the next few years. But those construction plans now have been approved and are in motion pending those zoning approvals. During the board meeting, there were some updates with the student rights and responsibilities. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So a committee of the board has been meeting throughout the spring to update the Code of Student Conduct, and they've made a variety of changes, uh, mainly in the procedures of how complaints are handled. So it includes provisions that will allow students who make complaints to be more involved in the process that follows the, the making of that complaint. And it also governs now more procedural rules surrounding the role of student organizations, and they'll be required to to make more co uh, contact and get more approvals from officials with their role in, in Code of Student Conduct complaints. But this will be the first major review of the code in more than 20 years. Um, so they, the, the committee has been working throughout the spring to, to completely revamp the code. Last year at the Board of Trustees meeting, the president and the trustees were talking about building up the university's reserves for a rainy day so-called. Uh, can you tell us more about what they've done? They've actually taken action on that this year. Uh, what is that looking like? Yeah, so in the budget for next fiscal year, officials have included a line item worth $2 million that is called a contingency fund. So basically, the fund will help the university prepare for any unexpected events that might have financial consequences. So it'll help build up those reserves. And this $2 million is more so just a starting point and officials are hope to, to continue to build it up beyond that amount in the future. And this comes from a few years ago when there was a big drop in grad graduate enrollment that caused the university to go into quite a bit of a deficit so it seems like they're really shifting back to 
being on the safe side and so they can weather something like that again. Yeah, the, the board in, in their budget considered a variety of proposals, including the contingency fund uh, that was that were designed to help the university uh, be more to improve their financial health and to, to improve stability uh, so that as we go through the year and maybe unexpected things come up, the university will be prepared to take on those challenges. Well, thanks for giving us a recap, Zach. Thanks for having me. I'm here with Contributing Culture Editor Sydney Lee to talk about some things that you can do if you're sticking around for the summer and are looking for some fun activities. Sydney, what did you find? Yes, my Contributing Culture Editor Molly Kaiser was doing some research and she found lots of cool activities you can sign up for. One of them is a meditation class. So meditation at Take 5 Meditation on Connecticut Avenue is offering long-term option pack, which is five classes for $90, or you can have a 10-class pack for $150. What if you're looking for something that's a little more physical, well, make you break a sweat? Yeah, so we found something at Earth Tracks Gym, and you can rock climb there for only $120 for a month membership. Is that in D.C. or is that just in the surrounding area? Where is that? Um, that's at their Crystal City location. If you're looking for something more on the creative, expressive side, what can you find in D.C.? There's a lot to do, especially at Capitol Hill Arts Workshop. They have a ton of different art classes that you can sign up for. Most of them meet once a week. And they vary from things like street photography, to outdoor drawing, to beyond fashion, sewing, and more. Um, is that more affordable than some of the options, or is that kind of middle of the line? Um, I would say these could be slightly more expensive, depending on if you want to do the three-week courses. Those are each $160. And then the classes that run from June 15th all the way to July 20th, they are once a week, and tuition is $330. Oh, wow, yeah, so that is more, a little bit more expensive. Yeah. Are there any activities that are closer to campus? Yeah, one that's pretty close is Rumble Boxing, and that's on M Street, so just a couple blocks off campus. And there you can try a five-class pack for $165 or a 10-class pack to last through the whole summer for $320. At Rumble, they have guided classes where you're just working with a punching bag, and they teach you how to do the five core punches that they use. So definitely good for beginners as well. Thanks, Sydney, for showing us some fun activities that we could do this summer. Thank you for having me. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by Meredith Roden and features culture editor Sydney Lee. This podcast is produced by assistant video editor Jacob Fulvag and podcast host Meredith Roden. Music is produced by Oak Studio. Special thanks to Leah DeGroat, Jared Gans, and Zach Schoenfeld for joining us.